it's time for the Blokes in Your Ear podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Blokes in Your Ear. Thanks to our listeners for the incredible support and feedback we have received so far. We really appreciate it. I'm excited to bring to you today's guest, Sam Harper. He's a talented wicketkeeper batsman and plays for the Victorian Bush Rangers in state cricket and the Melbourne Renegades in the Big Bash League. Sam is a ripping young guy and was a pleasure to chat to about cricket and life. I picked his brain about the art to batting and wicketkeeping and his own philosophy and process when he is out in the middle. He's a bright future ahead of him and is certainly a name to watch. Sit back and enjoy. G'day, Sammy. Nice to have you on, mate. Um, did you want to just introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me. It's um, good to be online. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm Sam and I'm a, I'm a cricketer and, uh, yeah, a bit of a hat golfer and do a few other things outside of cricket, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure you haven't got me on here for my golfing expertise because there's not many of those. <laughs> Are you a right-hand golfer as well? Or? Yeah, I am. Yeah, not a long hitter. Just to try and play the play the accurate game, which not a, doesn't work too often. But um, yeah, love my golf. Yeah, no, it's a it's a hard game. I find that when I go for a hit, I leave more frustrated than what I rocked up. I know but, they say it's supposed to be an enjoying game, but uh, yeah, that that rarely happens. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, mate. Um, so how's how's COVID been treating you? Because obviously you're a cr- cricketer and you're training all the time and playing. Um, it's obviously not cricket season at the minute. But how has your routine changed over the last probably two months? Yeah, I, th- I think firstly we got a little bit lucky with the um, with the virus coming when it did. Unfortunately, we were if we won our last Victorian game, we were going to be in the Shield final, um, which would have been a good experience. But um, with perspective of what's happened around the world, um, yeah, I think it came at an okay time for us. We've just entered our six weeks of annual leave, so um, I-, I know a few of the boys had some holidays booked, but we've ended up um, staying at home. But Thanks to Mr. Andrews yesterday, we can all get back out on the golf course tomorrow, as I've mentioned, so I think a few boys are excited with that. Yeah, for sure, mate. Have you been doing a bit of training at home? Do you have like a home gym set up or anything like that? Or Yeah, I have. So I've just turned the, uh, the garage with what I had um, into a gym and then um, actually I've been getting out a little bit on the bike as well just to get off the concrete running a little bit. But yeah, just been doing some bike riding, some running, and then yeah, turned the gym, as you said. Uh, into a bit of a home gym and our strength and conditioning coach um, gave us a few bands and a few things to work from. So that was good. Yeah, that's good, mate. What about specific cricket stuff? Have you had a chance to have a hit? It's pretty hard at the minute with the with the ISO and restrictions are being lifted, but have you hit any balls in the last couple of months? No, I haven't, I haven't hit any balls as of yet. Um, yeah, I usually take um, the month of April off just to refresh um, and have a bit of a mental and physical break. Um, and then, yeah, towards the back end of April, get things get things ramping up a bit. I've been doing a fair bit of um, just some catching and some keeping stuff with golf balls and tennis balls, um, which I do sort of all year round just to keep that keep that sort of going. Yeah, for sure. I think that's um, pretty important that you do give yourself a break because you're a young guy, and it's pretty it would be pretty easy just to get in that mindset of go 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 go. But I think that learning that now is going to hold you in good stead for the future. Yeah, definitely. I think, as you've said there, a few years ago, I would have kept hitting throughout the whole of April. But um, at this time of year where there's no game, direct games or competition coming up, um, yeah, I think it's important just to that when you actually do go back to hitting balls in May and in June, you're actually then going to go and hit with a purpose to improve um, and not just train for the sake of it. I think a lot of the time we can get caught 
just hitting balls because we want to hit balls or we're doing and we can actually potentially even train in bad habits um so yeah i think it's not a bad thing to have, just have a little refreshment for one month of the year um, and then yeah. use the other 11 months of the year to try and improve and get better yeah man. i agree um, so with that i'd love to pick your brain a little bit later about uh your sort of batting technique and your batting philosophy because i'm yeah play cricket myself absolutely love it um cool. it's a great sport but We'll sort of just start up with your upbringing. So you were born in Melbourne, is that right? Yeah, I was born in Melbourne. Yeah, and you played sport and stuff as a kid, obviously. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I was always encouraged to um, play as many sports as I could. So uh, it was a little tacker running around in the football field, <laughs> little in and under with no skills. And then, um, yeah, played a bit of tennis, a um, bit of golf, did some athletics with the school and also cricket as well. So. Yeah, did a few sports, which was good. Just just gave me variety, made me um, – it was probably a good thing as a as a kid and through school, made lots of mates through sport, which is probably what I enjoyed most. And probably at the end of the day, that's why I chose cricket because um, probably the, one of the things I enjoy most about cricket is the team aspect. We're in squads of 25 to 30, so it's pretty cool getting to go to work with your mates most days and play um, play cricket on the, on the weekend or during the week with your mates. Yeah, for sure. So when you were a kid, were you so right-hand batsman? Um, yeah. When did you just pick up wicket-keeping? Because obviously that's a super hard skill in itself to sort of get your head around. Yeah, so the growth the growth genetics didn't come my way, unfortunately, Tom. Uh, they <laughs> never have. So <laughs> it was sort of my own destiny at about 13 when I was four foot one and bowled <laughs> 51 k's an hour uh, that I think keeping was going to be my destiny. Bowling certainly was never going to be my forte but i think just the pretty uh common theme back in when i was playing under 11s you went keeper first slip third man point cover mid off and then you'd bowl the over and then you'd go mid on mid wicket and sort of make your way around the field that's how my junior days were brought up um giving everyone a go and then you'd bat for 12 balls so um yeah, i think i just enjoyed being in the game as a wicket keeper and as i touched on before i didn't really have the um, genetics to be a tear away fast bowler <laughs> Yeah, for sure. What did you bowl out of curiosity? And do you still roll the arm over at all now? Well, I, as a good a tenure as a good ten year old in the backyard, I thought I was Brett Lee rolling 160 k's <laughs> an hour. But then on a Friday night or a Saturday morning, when I rolled them out in the game, they uh, tended to go the journey more times than not. So uh, yeah, got brought down to my feet more often than not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, yeah. So with, with school and stuff, were you much of an academic kid, or was it was sport sort of your main focus? Uh, sport was definitely my main focus. Um, yeah, I, my parents were great. They always just encouraged me to chase my sport, but, um, I think it helped. They were, they were keen on me doing as well as I could at school, but they didn't ever put any pressure on me to, they just said, just do your best. Um, they knew that I was chasing sort of endeavors out away from the schooling system as well. So yeah, I did a few, I did, I did a few reduced VCE subjects in year 12 so I could focus on my cricket in that period and yeah I, I guess it's paid off but I'm also at uni now so I understand that um, there is more to life than cricket and post cricket um, there's still 40 or 50 or 60 years of life ahead hopefully we've got to work in some of this sphere so yeah I think it's important to be as balanced as you can be. Yeah of course what, what are you studying now man? Uh, funnily enough I'm doing a P in health teaching degree um, <laughs> so yeah I might even find myself back in the in the classroom but yeah I'm just sort of doing that to get um, I think the education degree will be handy one day um, in a lot of areas of different work. So I'm not really sure exactly what I want to do. Yeah, that's good. Well, that's the same degree um, that I did. I did like a PE health and outdoor ed uh, degree. 
yeah, awesome. Um, and just finished last year. And yeah, it can take a lot of places. Like my hope was to go over to the UK in January um, yep. and teach over there and play a bit of local cricket. But unfortunately, yep. I can't see myself traveling for a while due to this whole COVID thing. I know. Has it affected you? Um, affected me, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, been like had, yeah, the three casual jobs and they've all, yeah, gone under. So, yeah, just been sort of sitting around at home doing a heap of uh, work around the house, which is probably handy. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, been doing a bit on this podcast a couple of times a week. So, yeah. Uh, it has beauty. been good. It has been good though to focus on a couple of different things that you don't normally get time to do. Yeah, have you for found, sure. Have you found a similar thing? Have you been doing other stuff at home that maybe reading or some other hobby you picked up? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I've, my brother learned the guitar as a kid, so he's been sort of giving me a few guitar lessons. Um, yeah, and as you said, I've been a bit of a hermit at times. <laughs> uh, just on, I love my surfing, so it's been not just disappointing enough to be able to surf, but. Um, yeah, I've just sort of, as you said, tried to pick up a few little things that um, you otherwise wouldn't turn your time into. I've got, I'm a dog lover as well, so I spent plenty of time with the dog. So, just found ways to keep busy. Yeah, nice. What what breed of dog do you have? I've got a puggle, cross between a pug and a beagle. So yeah, he's, that's cute. That's cute. Yeah, he's a cute little guy. You got a dog, Tom? Yeah, yeah. I've got a like cavalier cross beagle, so fairly uh, similar. Ah, uh, very nice. Little bugger. Um, yeah, <laughs> cheeky little buggers, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're great company though, especially in they these are. times. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I couldn't encourage people to get a dog more than <laughs> well, they're great to have. Yeah, yeah, for sure, mate. Um, so with your with your cricketing, who did you sort of look up to when you were a young kid? Like, who did you sort of try and did you try and mould your game around one player in particular, or did you just get a heap of different players and sort of put that into your own thing? Yeah, it's a good question. I was probably more, I didn't really have one specific um, cricket and it sort of changed throughout the years. Obviously being a keeper, um, Adam Gilchrist and Brad Haddon sort of towards the end were people I loved watching, especially because I, I loved the way they played. Um, coming in at seven, they usually took the game on um, with the bat and it was just exciting to watch. So definitely those two. I also, like every other cricketer, loved Mark Hussey um, and loved his story that he paved his way through his 20s and then debuted in his back 20s towards 30 and had the career. I loved watching him. And then, yeah, probably most recently, A.B. De Villiers was, has been my favourite cricketer. Um, I just The way he's transformed the three formats and being able to play all, all three in different capacities. Um, yeah, he's probably my favourite cricketer as of now. Yeah, I think we were probably very lucky because I'm, I'm – how old are you, 23, is it? 23, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm I'm 24, and we've sort of seen the best of Australian cricket, like we, you know, the early 2000s and you know yeah. 2005, 2006. Like our Australian squad was just stacked with unbelievable yeah. talent. Superstars, so, that's right. We haven't even mentioned Ponting, Hayden, like all the Martin, all the rest that were through there. Yeah, I think we were very lucky. I always think about the guys that were sort of dogged of opportunities in that sort of era. Like you got your um, Brad Hodges and your Stuart McGills. Like yeah. Any, any other era, they would have been our like frontline bowlers and batsmen. That, correct. But they they couldn't get an opportunity. So. And I think Brad Hodge averages fifty in Test cricket, and he played six matches. Like incredible to, to look back on that he could average fifty and only play the amount of tests that he did. Well, he hit he, he hit a double hundred in his last game, didn't he? And then for whatever reason, didn't get. Yeah, I know. He, I know he hit a double hundred in um, Perth. Um, Hodgie was another one. I made my first 11 debut at Melbourne Cricket Club and um, 
he was playing that game. So that was a that was a cool moment because um, my old man had coached Melbourne previously when I was three or four or five years old. So I grew up sort of watching him on the hill as a real young young tacker. So it was cool to be able to um, play a couple of games with him at Melbourne at the back end of his career. Yeah, for sure. Well, he's been around forever, hasn't he? Like he's obviously sort of retired now, but is he still in the big bash? I can't remember. Or is he? No, he's not. He played his last year last year. And That's then, right. Um, yeah. yeah. I'll be surprised. Well, he's in the commentary game now. He thinks he's, he's, a, he's a good commentator and entertaining to listen to, but I wouldn't be surprised mm. if he's potentially either commentating in a, in a coaching role um, in the next few years. Yeah, I've listened to him commentate a fair bit, and he seems to have like a really great cricket brain, like the way he breaks it down. is quite simple and easy to listen to. I think coaching could definitely be in his forte. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So so going back to your own cricket, when did you sort of, were you going through like the Victorian sort of squads as a kid or when did you sort of find out that you had a real knack for the game and uh, a talent sort of thing? When did you really start taking it seriously, I suppose? Yeah. Um, yeah. I was, so I was in the Vic under uh, 12s, um, 15s, 17s, 19s. So I sort of did the generic pathway um, through all those squads and, um, when I was 12 and 13, cricket was probably always my favourite sport, but I was still encouraged to enjoy my other sports. And um, golf was probably my second. I loved my golf, and it was probably it was never really a decision. That I think cricket was always going to be the one I was going to choose to pursue. Um, and yeah, as you said, just sort of went through the 12s, 15s, 17s pathway, um, and yeah, that led that led into some other things post those carnivals, which was exciting. Yeah, that's good. In those sort of squads as well, you would have had some fantastic coaches sort of um, teaching you the game at that at that stage in life? Yeah, definitely. We had um, Graham Romans who played um, for New South Wales and Victoria and has been a premier superstar um, for St Kilda and St George up in New South Wales. So was, he was great to work with in my batting. Um, a guy named Nathan Pillen who played a lot for Carlton and also played shield cricket for Victoria and New South Wales was my keeping coach. Um, Timmy Ludeman, we, we did uh, three or four years of we keeping coaching together, so I was very lucky. And we also had great access to the sort of Victorian squad and Victor- the Victorian batting coaches as 16, 17 year olds would filter through our um, pathway sessions. So we'd always get to pick their pick their brain, which was, um, yeah, I think it was really important as a 15 and 16 year old to have access to that sort of caliber of coaching. Yeah, of course. So with the Vic squad, you're always the like number one keeper from under 12s all the way through, or yeah, funnily enough, I kept in um, I kept in the under twelves and fifteens. Um, <laughs> this is a funny story. We in the fifteens, um, we had two spinners, and I think one of them went down with injury. And I've been bowling a few off spinners for our school first seventeen at Yarra Valley. Um, so I went from wicket keeping one day to actually bowling, rolling out a few offies the next day in the under fifteens carnival, which was. Uh, not a good sight to see. Um, but then, yeah, quickly back into the 17s and 19s, I was wicket-keeping and certainly will not be bowling for Victoria. That is for sure. <laughs> How did you go with the bowling of that tournament? Did you pick up any scalps? Uh, yeah, the, a guy who I'm mates with ended up playing the Australian under-19s team with Pat Page, who's from South Australia. I think I bowled a rank cut shot that he nicked to the keeper somehow. So, But I'll claim that one. Uh, but, yeah, I think I also got deposited down at the TCA ground in Tasmania, which is a fairly big ground. I got sent down the hill twice in one over. And I, that was, yeah, uh, I think the skipper took me off and said, mate, you can keep tomorrow. You're not bowling those for us anymore. So that's how that one, that's how that one turned out. That's pretty good that you got the, the wicket, though. 
You surely yeah. get, a, get into him every now and then. Got a bit of oh, for him. There was a bit of carry on, as you can imagine. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird game, cricket. Like, I because I bowl like just a few leggies and stuff. Yeah. And some of the best spells of your life, you might only pick up one wicket or not get a wicket. And you might have a pretty pretty ordinary spell where you're not bowling that well, a couple half trackers, full tosser. And those are the ones sometimes where you do get the wicket to the reward. It's a very weird game. It is. It certainly is, Chris. Never ceases to, to amaze anyone. Yeah, for sure. So with your um, under-19 championship, I sort of seen that you made a, a ton against what team was that was that new guinea Papua new guinea or was that uh yeah i made 100 against Papua new guinea um up in brisbane and then and un- un- well yeah unfortunately our under 19 year um we were meant to go to bangladesh for the world cup and then we were the only team that actually didn't go due to safety reasons so that was um that was a bummer um for all of us we went over to dubai and played a couple of practice games and then got told in a team meeting that we wouldn't be uh traveling over to Bangladesh for safety reasons. So we actually flew home. So that was disappointing news at the time, but uh, yeah, it was what it was. Yeah, that's annoying. What format was that? Were they one days or yeah, like 50s? Yeah, one days. So yeah, yeah, we were trying to get the, I think the ICC and Cricket Australia tried to get the tournament moved to South Africa because then we would have been able to go, but it didn't get, didn't get pushed through. Yeah. And I suppose my other question with that tournament sort of making a few runs, making a ton at that level, did that sort of give you an extra boost of confidence that you think you sort of needed to make that next step? Because I know in sport, confidence is absolutely paramount. Yeah, it is. I think it certainly helped. Um, I mean, I don't think I don't think you can really, like, I think playing men's, I played at Caulfield in the sub-district league uh, when I was 14. And so I think that exposure to men's cricket really helped me when I was, playing those under-18s and under-19s sort of carnivals and championships because I'd got used to playing against men um, who treated you like an adult and yeah, weren't, weren't shy to have a go at you. They didn't really care that you were the young kid on the block. They'd just tell you what they thought. Um, so I think that exposure as a young, young kid was really important for my junior stuff and really helped me transition into Premier Cricket from Melbourne and then into Victorian Cricket. Yeah, for sure. That Yeah, it's always... Um, yeah, well, I've been guilty before you get like a 17 18 year old kid that comes in a bat and they think they're pretty good and you just sort of tear them down a peg or two like it's um of course yeah not, of course you do not overly proud as a teacher to be saying that but <laughs> oh but you... it's good for the, it's good yeah i think all juniors who played senior career you know you're not shy when you're going into that year that you're going to get it. and i think at the end of the day it really helps you um for the rest of your sort of cricketing journey yeah for sure with with the cricket do you get wild on fever at all? Yeah, I'd be lying if I didn't say I did. Uh, I think it's pretty natural. Um, the, the competitive juices get flowing out in the field. Uh, yeah, and I like to win as much as anyone. So, yeah, I'd say a little bit of white line fever. Unfortunately, I can't do that with the, with the bowling. So I think if I was a bowler, I'd even have even, even more white line fever. But <laughs> behind the stumps, it's sort of out of your control a little bit. But, yeah, certainly, certainly have a little bit of it. Yeah, leading on to that, Connor had a question. So basically, he wanted to know sledging. Uh, what What's your role with sledging? Are you a fan of it? Because I know most keepers uh, sort of thrive off it. Uh, what's your take on it? Oh, I think sledging is an important part of important part of the game. Uh, I'm sort of it's sort of a funny one. You go from playing 17s and 19s, where say you're in the Vic under 19s, and you're in the Australian under 19s, you feel like you're the 
I don't know, the best, you can say whatever you want and then you play your Shield debut um, and if Bo Peep by the time, she just catch the ball and don't say a word. Uh, you just encourage the, you're just encouraging the ball. So I think that's, there's that level of respect. I mean, um, there's certainly sledging that happens and it's part of the game, which I love. Um, I think we all love and that's the, that's the sort of thing that, I mean, when you're watching in Ashes, you mentioned the 05 series back, then I can only imagine what was happening in such a series like that and it's just enthralling for us to watch and even from last year's Ashes over in England, which was another really exciting series. So I think the fans love it, the players certainly love it and as long as it um, doesn't get personal or invade anyone's sort of personal life, I think it's here to stay and it's a really important part of the game. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Um, it's funny. I'm I'm a bit of a sledger as well. Absolutely thrive off it. Um, yeah. I think it's it's good to sort of, especially when you're bowling. Even I tend when I'm batting, I tend not to say anything because you want to just you know be focused on the ball. But if you're in the field, like at the end of the day, you got eleven guys onto two. Like you might as well try and use that advantage to your to your own uh, favor. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean. You don't really see it in golf or tennis because there's that individual thing. I mean, footy is such a fast pace, but even like the golf in the President's Cup or anything, the, how the players can use the crowd. I mean, it's great when we've got England over here and, I don't know, one of the Australian boys is giving something to the Barmy RV. It just revs the whole crowd up, revs the whole... So I remember Mitchell Johnston running in and just bouncing and most balls. It was awesome to watch. I think that's, what, that's why as Australians we love cricket so much just because of that competitive nature it gives us. Yeah, for sure. And um, Shane Warne's a fascinating one to listen to about this sort of topic because he said back in his when he was playing, he liked to sort of get under the batsman's skin. You know, he might say a few choice words, but it really brought him into the game. So instead of it just being bowling to a generic, you know, whoever, it's more of a like a one-on-one battle. And he really rose to that occasion. Look, it's not going to work for everyone, but he loved that aspect of it. Yeah, definitely. And I think on the... On the vice versa, there's there's certain batsmen when they walk to the crease that you don't want to you don't want to sledge because you know that if you do that's going to get them that's going to get them in the game. I mean, I don't know about you. I've been watching the Last Dance recently with Michael yep. Jordan, and it seems to be. <laughs> I mean, I watched last night's episode, and that guy went over to the Hornets and had 37 on him, and then he goes, "Well, I'm going to have as many points as you did for the game in the first half," and he goes out and has 36 in the first half next game. So. Certainly, yeah. certain bears you don't want to poke. I mean, if Mitch Johnson was still playing these days, I wouldn't be uh, sledging him from behind the stumps if we were batting second because <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's going to end well for me or the team. So, um, I mean, as, I think we can sledge all the batsmen who can't bowl. That's how I think us wicketkeepers are a prime target because we get sledged and then we just want to give it back because they know we can't come in and bowl thunderbolts. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's definitely an element of that. You've got to pick your targets. There's no, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't be lifting Mitch Johnson with that big buddy handlebar mustache. No, nah, yeah. neither would I. I'd be saying nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so after your sort of championship under 19s, uh, 2015, 16, you got a rookie con- uh, con- contract for the Vigs. Yeah. What was that feeling like getting that first contract? Um, yeah, it was really exciting. I mean, you do a you do a lot of hard work and sort of a childhood dream in the backyard playing and just playing with your mates, playing with your brother. So, um, no, it's an exciting call when you when you get told that you're going to have a professional contract and that cricket's going to be your job. <laughs> I don't, I didn't really see it as a job and I've never, I've, even to this day, I don't really see it as a job. Like, uh, I chose to play cricket as a young kid in the backyard and I'm lucky enough that that's what I do for a living. But I see it more as a passion and a, a game than a job. Uh, it just happens to 
um, just happens to be what I do for a living. But that's that phone call. I think everyone who gets is a rookie contract when they they know that in a month or two's time they're going to be walking into the gym and being able to train with. Uh, I mean, for me, Cameron, you're walking in the room. Cam White, Dan, Christian, Aaron Finch, Glenn Maxwell, and they were your they were your teammates. <laughs> this was a pretty exciting sort of journey and it's somewhat intimidating you're walking in there going gee uh i'm all of a sudden sharing a change in with these people so yeah it was it's an exciting time of your life yeah for sure i'm sure that yeah when you first walk in um the sort of deer in headlights you're seeing all your sort of idols right next to you does that sort of rub off pretty quick and do you sort of turn that into um instead of being intimidated that these guys i'm just going to learn as much as i can is that sort of the approach you yeah i think totally i think um I think that just the culture that has been set. I mean, you walk in, and then to be fair, they just most of them, they just treat you like another part of the another part of the fabric. Um, within a couple of days, you've had normal chats with them. I think my I remember my first ever encounter with the squad was a team breakfast um, on Malvern Road, and then that afternoon we went and we, there was twelve of us that went and played Kingswood um, Golf Club. So then, and then we at the end of that round we had a steak sandwich and a beer, and I mean. I hadn't even gone to a training session yet and I'd spent sort of four or five hours with all of them playing golf and socialising there. So that that sort of element made it really easy. All of a sudden you walked into training and you sort of felt like you felt like you know, knew them because you'd got to know them outside of cricket. Um, yeah, so the transition I didn't find too hard. And of course, whilst you're, getting, whilst you're getting a rookie contract, so are the three or four close mates you've had also from the Australian under 19. So you're walking into a change room with three or four of your best mates who have also just been rookie contracted. So... You've always got those close mates who you can talk to and and speak with. Yeah, that's fantastic. And it sort of sounds like Victoria have obviously been a super successful side in the Shield and one-day comp for years and years. Do you think, from what you're saying there, playing the golf and meeting each other, sort of spending time outside of cricket, do you feel like they've got a really strong um, culture there? Because I've, I've found even playing like local sport, sides that want to do stuff with each other outside whether it's cricket footy soccer doesn't matter those yeah. teams tend to sort of play better on the field because they can trust one another and rely on one another so do you feel the uh um culture's fairly strong at victoria yeah definitely i mean we we've, we've got a culture that the boys just enjoy each other's company and we uh, we have the laugh at training no one takes everyone too seriously i mean like most sporting change rooms the Banter levels high with one another, um, and yeah, and then off field, some of us are going surfing together, some of us are playing golf together, others are doing other hobbies. I mean, of course, in the squad of thirty, not everyone's going to click and see eye to eye. Not everyone's going to have the same hobbies or interests out, away from the game. But um, yeah, on the whole, I think we have a really healthy and strong culture. And then when we get on the field, everyone just wants to do their best and play to win. Um, it's as simple as that, really. And um, yeah, the coaches we've had has backed us to do that. So I think that's what's helped in the past few years. Yeah, for sure. Who's coaching at the minute for Vic? I haven't followed that. Uh, Lockie Stevens was. Okay. Um, yeah, he was assistant coach when Andrew McDonald um, was appointed assistant coach of Australia, and yeah, so he's in the role at the moment. He was fantastic. He's just a really relaxed um, guy who's just lets you prepare and train how you want to train, and just sort. Of, yeah, he lets you take control of your own game, which I think that's probably a key thing to the Victorian coaches that I've had is they put ownership on you to get better, and they put ownership on you to sort of work out who you are as a player, as a batsman, as a wicket keeper, and then they'll just be there to facilitate that. You don't walk in on your first five training sessions and they try and change eight things about your game um, and confuse you. They just sort of work with what you've got. 
Yeah, for sure. It's a, I think a good coach can sort of identify the strengths and weaknesses of a player and try and get their strengths to be even stronger so they can really dominate in those areas. Yeah, and, no, good and point. With, and with coaching, it's changed a lot over the last 20 years. Like you would have seen the old footy highlights and stuff of just the coaches consistently berating their players, like even when they're doing well. Um, and these days it still happens, but it's more of a sort of individualized approach to coaching. You've just got to treat every player as a you know individual person and yeah no, a lot of, so, a lot of certainly sorry man and a lot of young kids don't respond as well to getting berated in front of a tee like some do but a lot don't yeah i think that's the way it's gone i mean most of the good coaches out there these days are really good have really good communication really good people skills um along with being having the expertise as a coach as well so yeah, certainly the coaches I've been lucky enough to deal with have had that all-rounded approach, which is really helped not only from a cricketer but also from a life perspective too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, a lot of the good coaches like Dimmer Hardwick, I'm a big Tigers supporter, and he's, <laughs> awesome. he's, he's big on um, sort of developing the person as a whole as well as a footballer, so giving them life skills, uh, knowledge about life, and um, that's going to help them be a bit better footballer as well. Do you follow the footy? Yeah, I do. I love the footy. My whole, most of my whole family's Richmond as well, Tom. So uh, okay. there you go. I'm actually Brisbane. My old man was Fitzroy. So I got taken down the Brisbane Lions thing, which was good when I was three. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but a bit, different, a bit different now that I'm 23. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. They are, they're getting better though. Like the last couple of seasons have been fairly promising. Last year they were good. Definitely. They broke my heart last year going out in straight sets, but I was very encouraged with the um, development, I think. Chris Fagan and the, uh, that word culture that they've got going up there uh, seems to be going really well. Yeah, well, did they finish fourth last year? Is that right? Uh, yes, fourth. And yep. then we lost. And then um, the, I can't remember his name, the little GWS goal sneak kicked the banana, put him three points up in the next week at the Gabba. And we, we versed Richmond at the Gabba and they, sorry, in the first week. You yep. boys smacked us. That's right. And then we versed GWS. And lost by less than a kick and we were out. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cruel game, mate. Don't worry. Yeah. The first 20 years of my life were living hell as a Richmond Yeah, I, know. I can imagine. Oh, I can attest to that. I was actually a Richmond member. My pop was a Richmond member and he used to buy my brother and I memberships for Christmas even though I was a Brisbane supporter. So I've, I've definitely been to far more Richmond games than I have Brisbane. So I can hear you and feel your pain. Oh, it was just heartbreaking year after year. You're like, we're going to turn it around, and it just turned to shit. I know. Poor Richo plays three finals in, or whatever, five finals <laughs> in his whole career, and then Marlon Pickett sneaks in and plays one game as a premiership player, and Richo's <laughs> played 300 odd games. I oh, know, 800 goals. It's, it's criminal, isn't it? It is. It's a tough sport. Criminal. Uh, anyway, we'll get back to the, the BBL. So you sort of played your first season at Stars and then moved to the Renegades. What's yeah. that been like playing 2020 cricket? Because obviously it's taken off a lot over the last sort of five to sort of seven years. What's that like being involved in the, the Renegades change room? Yeah, the 2020 format, I think it's, it's a great format. I mean, it's really exciting. We get to play as domestic players in front of crowds. We get two, two overseas um, into each team, which is so cool. I mean, Avery DeVos came out this year and I was keeping at the Gabba to him. So, um that was sort of pretty surreal as my one of my favourite players and heroes growing up. Um, yeah, I think just the way the whole format's been branded. I mean, kids love it, families love it. They do the entertainment side of it well, and us players enjoy playing it. So, yeah, it's a really it's a really exciting product. Yeah, man, I, I agree. What's it like going out to bat in, in front of a big crowd? Because obviously, 
you wouldn't get those type of crowds at Shield Cricket. Um, it's, <laughs> no. a, it's a completely different kettle of fish. So what's what's that like going out? Yeah, mate. First, so first game I ever played was for the Stars against Hobart Hurricanes down in um down in Tassie and. Michael Beer was by, I remember it. Kumar Sangakara is batting and I'm out there in the middle and my wrists are dead, like rock hard, could not feel my hands. And I reckon the first ball that just hit cannon into my gloves and just spilled out. Like I didn't even, I don't think I even closed my gloves to try and catch it. Um, I was really? that, just yeah. those feelings of being nervous, excited. All of a sudden you're out there, it's loud. Kumar Sangakara is batting. Um, so it, it takes, it did take a bit of getting used to, no doubt. I mean, then second game was the Derby, Renegades versus Stars and, I went out there, there was 70,000 people there and the run rate's 12 and over. <laughs> so, like, so, like, so those, those first few experiences, well, they're, they're certainly the ones I remember the most just from that pure adrenaline you get when you're out there. Um, but I think they were really important in my development to then go across to the Renegades where uh, I was given a really good opportunity to bat at the top of the order and I'd sort of already felt what it was like to keep and bat in front of a crowd and then... I could sort of just more actually more focus on it. It's just another game of cricket. And I sort of then have been able to use the crowd's noise or energy to your favour. It sort of gets your beans going. And when you're trying to score at 10 or 12 and over that, I, I think it can only help. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, with last year, it was sort of a bit of a breakout year for you in the BPL. I remember one, one of the games sort of mid-season hit like a 60, 60 odd. Was that right? Yeah, so yeah. Um, I think the first so the first year I was at the Renegades, um, I was a replacement player and I just had a role at the top of the order that Andrew McDonald had just given me the freedom to go out and get us off to a fast start really. Um, mm. And he just, the, what I loved about Ronnie's coaching was that he didn't change. I remember I got out in Geelong one night, second ball trying to ramp and got caught at 45. Now, most people to the naked eye would go, what the hell is he doing that for? But the, Ronnie said to me that night, mate, awesome stuff, you'd doing your role perfectly. So that really gave me the confidence to then just keep expressing myself. Um, so then I think the next sort of my development was actually once I got through that power play and initial six overs was to realise that I didn't have to keep going hammer and tong, that I can actually, uh, those sort of over six to 11, just build a platform for us to launch at the back end. So yeah, there was certainly times last year where I got it, got it right. As you mentioned, there was certainly some times where I got it wrong. So, I mean, that's all learning as a young player. Yeah, for sure. And with, with 2020, the nature of it is like it's consistency is very, you know, it's almost impossible. Like I think one of the commentators last year was saying if you can get a good score every third or fourth innings, that's sort of you're doing pretty well. Definitely. I think it's such a high-risk game and it's it can give you pressure. I mean, like an example this year was we were playing the Adelaide Strikers and we're chasing about 170 or 180 and you know – so I'm opening the batting and I know that Rashid Khan's got four overs um, when the run rate's going to be about nine and over. So all of a sudden you spend those first six overs of the power play trying to get so far ahead of the rate because you know Rashid Khan's about to bowl. And like I think I scored 11 off 14 that night. It was my worst strike rate. Uh, I batted terribly that night because I was fearing <laughs> Rashid Khan and what was to come. So mm. instead of actually just if we were batting first and setting a score – you just bat the first six overs normally. So it's just those little learnings that can happen, not not worrying about a bowler who's got four overs up his sleeve, not worrying about just – I was moving around the crease like a maniac, swinging off yeah. my neck, missing every second ball. Um, whereas then you translate like that to that innings against the Perth Scorchers where we're setting a score. Um, we've lost a few early wickets. 
and I can just sort of get into my innings. Um, so, yeah, they're the little learnings you have along the way that are really important. Yeah, for sure. With with Rashid Khan, he's obviously an exceptional 2020 bowler. Yeah. And he, he bowls super quick leggies. Like, you don't really get time to sort of get down the pitch to him. And obviously that wrong and he's got his, you know, unreal. What's it like yep. facing, facing him? Great question, Tom. If you've got any answers for me, you've got my number now, so you can text me through <laughs> if, you pick, if you pick up anything. He just, as you mentioned, he's, for those of you who are out there know cricket, his arm, when he bowls the ball, comes so fast that you don't, especially under lights and at night, you don't actually get to see the seam very well. So there's just this white thing projecting at you, and then you're asking yourself, which way is this going to spin? Uh, which is not a great feeling as a batter when you don't know which way it's going to spin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he just has that effect. I mean, um, we're lucky we have Muhammad Nabi at the Renegades, so I sort of tried to pick his brain a little bit. He reckons that if he's pinky, if he shows he's pinky, then it's going to be wrong, and if he doesn't, then it's a leggy. But try looking for someone's pinky uh, when they're bowling that fast. <laughs> um, it's pretty hard. So, yeah, he's an exceptional bowler. Oh, it's so hard, isn't it? Like, it's it's so hard to watch a ball out of the bowler's hands. Like, you know, everyone says it, but the like everyone's got different um, bowling techniques, actions, especially some of the quicker bowlers as well. Uh, what's your? I'd really love to know what your batting process is when you're batting. What are you thinking as the bowler's running in, and what are you saying to yourself or doing um, as they release the ball? Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, so it certainly it probably changes throughout throughout format to format. I know that I'm dating my best when I'm trying to score runs, um, which sounds so simple. <laughs> uh, but I think when I when I'm in a positive mindset, what I mean by that, like I'm a, I'm defending positively. I can I think that you can leave the ball really positively when you're in a positive frame of mind. So that if the bowler does miss um, from a red ball perspective, you're ready to score. And then sort of progressing into the 2020 when you are trying to score every ball, I think it's just about not sort of preempting too much um just letting the ball bowl with a really again positive mindset and then just hitting hitting the ball where the ball's bowled. i mean the, there are a few exceptions um when i'm playing a ramp shot or sh- ramp shot or something like that it is a totally preempted shot um so then you're just hoping the ball bowls ball with a bit of pace on it in your area um but yeah just staying that's all just all the cliches that have been going around for 100 years don't really change <laughs> just sort of stay as clear mentally as you can um in a positive frame of mind yeah, and does does that change when you're playing longer forms of cricket, say shield, when you go into bat? Because obviously it's a completely different game, really. What what's your batting process like then, as you're taking guard and looking around? Yeah, so and that that can actually, that can also change venue venue to venue. I mean, you go over to the wacker where there's four slips in the gully, and you try and drive your first five balls, you're probably going to nick off because you're not used to the bounce of the pitch yet and stuff like that. So there's certainly that just assessing and getting used to the conditions. Um, which is key, whereas the MCG in the past years has been a lot slower. So you come out, there's one slip and nine blokes in front of the wickets. It can be a bit mm. harder to score. So I think just in the Red Bull stuff, it's just I've found that when I've stayed positive, um, that's sort of my best form of defence as well and my best chance to score runs. So, yeah, that's sort of how it's worked for me. But that's going to be different for everybody. Yeah, for sure. Um, I remember listening to, you mentioned it before, Mike Hussey. He's got a beautiful way of looking at it. When he was batting at his best, he would be so focused on every delivery. And he'd say just simple little one-liners to himself, watch the ball, watch the ball. You'd think, as a kid growing up, you'd think that because they're playing for Australia, they must be doing something really 
complex and crazy to get to that level. Um, but he sort of just, all he said, watch the ball, watch the ball. So he's preempting his mind to do as he says. Um, have you heard him talk about that at all? Yeah, I've, I've spoken to him. Like, yeah, I've spoken to him about it and heard him speak about it. And I think it's a common trend with all the, all the batsmen. I mean, Sean Nash this year, I mean, if you put a camera on his face when the ball is running in, you can actually see his lips move saying, watch the ball. Um, and, yeah, those, those people who Ricky Ponting did it as well. Um, it seems to be a common trend with these absolute superstars that all they're trying to do is stay clear and watch the ball. So, I mean, it's, it's simple. Like when you get these young kids, you go, oh, what's your advice? And you go, well, <laughs> watch the ball. <laughs> just, do, like, but just be, keep it really simple. I think we can try and overcomplicate a game that's hard enough as it is, especially the batsmen, um, the simpler we can keep it. And as you touched on before, um, with the coaching, just sort of if you've got your strengths, keep working on your strengths. So often we try and focus on what we need to get better at and what our weaknesses might be that we actually lose sight of what makes us a good player. So, yeah, keep focusing on your strengths and keep that mind positive because there's all the research would show that that's the best way you're going to be able to prepare and play well. Yeah, I agree. And I think the other thing as well, one of my junior coaches when I was a, a kid gave some really good advice that's always sort of stuck with me is when you're fielding or you're batting to um, always switch off in between deliveries because it's, yep. impo- it's impossible for it. And as a keeper, you'd be all over this. You can't, you're stupid if you think you can concentrate for six hours a day in a row. So do you sort of take that same process, like switch on as the ball is coming in, as soon as it, it's over, that play is done, switching off? Yeah, totally. I mean, when you, like, when you think about it, if you play a four-day game and you're out there for 96 hours, keeping six and a half hours, if you're trying to concentrate and be on for all those minutes, like you're just going to be exhausted. I mean, uh, there's a quote from Steve Waugh that says when he bats for a day, he concentrates for like six and a half minutes because he literally only concentrated when the five seconds of the ball are running in. And then from then, from after he'd played the ball, he just focused on the next ball and zone out, look at the crowd, sing a song. Glenn McGrath talks about running in, singing a song when he was bowling his best. I mean, there's all those different stories out there that, you you just got to switch off. Switch off. It's the same as it's the same at lunch. I mean, like lunch and tea. Those breaks when you get. I hate it personally when the coach comes in and wants to speak about cricket for fifteen minutes. You're like, I've just been out there for two hours. <laughs> just let me just have some lunch and chill out because I'm got I'm going out for another two hours. So um, yeah, I think switching off and keeping as mentally fresh as you can is, uh, is really important. Yeah, for sure, mate. Are you what? No, what? what uh, sorry, what number are you batting in, in this sort of shield team? And when you're playing like Premier cricket, are you batting up the order with that? Yeah. So for Victoria, I've been batting six and seven. Um, yep. And then yeah, for Melbourne, I've been batting three or four. So I think it's different. A four-day game um, when you're keeping from potentially 150 overs to then go and open the batting or bat three and pad up. Speaking of that mental switch off, I think that's why you'd see. Well, it's a pretty common theme that most batters either bat six or seven in the test sides, um, just so they can do both as well as they can. Um, but for Melbourne, where we're sort of just playing Saturday to Saturday, two days, you're sort of keeping one week, then batting the next. Um, I want to get up there and uh, have as much time as I can to bat as long as I can and learn. So, yeah, it sort of changes a bit. And then in the white ball, I think the keeper these days in the white ball needs to be able to bat in the top sort of three or four so that that all-rounder can slot in at six or seven um, to sort of add that team balance, hence why you'll see a lot of keepers opening the batting or batting three in the white ball, T20 stuff especially. Yeah, even that's just super difficult. Like 
I only just play local cricket, but I open the batting as well. And if you bowl a team out, because we sort of play like 85 one week, 85 the other. Yeah. It's, it's pretty common. You can bowl a team out and then you go straight into bat. Yeah, and you even, bat for six overs that night. It's yeah. a tough little six overs of batting. You just want to get through to the next week. Yeah, absolutely. I know exactly what you're saying. And if you, yeah, you've been fielding for 70 overs in the heat. Like you're pretty knackered one by the time you get to bat. Yeah, totally. I mean, I... Those those openers who can spend 90 overs out in the field and then go and bat for three overs <laughs> when the fielding team's all over you, they just want that one wicket <laughs> next week. Like, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's not much fun going nah, out. It's the week nice. before, shit else. Yeah, totally. Sometimes it's nice to bat first so you can just bat for the day and then if you, your team gets bowled out, <laughs> at least you know you've got the three or four overs out there to go and take a wicket and it's not you batting. Yeah, do you, do you find um a lot of high level cricketers and stuff they sort of talk about how they hate watching cricket and I'm the same I fucking hate it I'd yeah. much rather be out there like occupying the crease what's what's your thoughts on that I I certainly get more nervous watching than I do playing uh, I mean I remember the final last year when we played the Sydney Sixers to get into the grand final and I'd got out and then it was. Dan Christian was batting and he got us over the line. But when you're on the bench, you sort of you can't do anything. You just you, the the game's out of your hands. Whereas when you're out there, it's like I actually don't feel nervous at all when I'm out there. You're just batting. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I can agree with that one. Yeah. So yeah, that's another hard thing as well. Waiting to come into bat. Um, you sort of mentioned you're a nervous nervous off the field. Uh, when you're batting at three or four, how nervous do you get before you go on? Um, I think it's. I think it's a given. I mean, I, I, most of us wish it would go away, but I think it's pretty common when you're next into bat, you've got a bit of, um, you are nervous, you're a bit uptight, you're anticipating sort of what's going to happen. I think that's just a normal, natural thing. I mean, you listen to all the best. They, I read ABDV's books. He talks about thinking he needs to vomit when he's next into bat. <laughs> um, and that was when he was 30 and played 80 tests already. So, I mean, Nathan Lyon just did a podcast where he speaks about that he feels like he de- he's debuted for Australia 81 times because he just <laughs> every – I don't know if you saw that, but he said that every test feels like he just gets the same amount of nerves. So I think that's, as an athlete and as a cricketer, it doesn't really matter what level you're playing. Um, you want to do well and you want to have success as a team. So I, I think at the end of the day, the way I look at nerves is just you want to do well and you want the team to win. Um, if you weren't nervous, it means you probably your care factor is – lacking and yeah you probably question how much that day or innings or game means to you so yeah i don't think i don't necessarily see nerves as a bad thing i don't love when they're there but i think they're only natural yeah of course yeah it's means you're switched on yeah it means you care as you touched on um and yeah i with me i feel physically ill the morning of knowing that i'm going out to bat yeah like, for some reason every time we um play a two-day game like i always want the captain to bowl first i just I never want to bat, but then once you're out there, it's so fun. But yeah. like, just, just the thought of, you know, feeling like you're going to vomit and then going out there, putting on a front, like, you know, it's, oh, it's crazy. Yeah. Now the mind does, the mind has funny things, doesn't it? Couldn't agree more. I, yeah. think, I think we just got to all understand we're all in the same boat and it's all, we just want to do our best. That's it. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I'm a much, I'm more of a, like, just blocker, noodle the ball around, Piss the yep. dollars off. Yeah, um, wear them down. Yeah, wear them down with a strike rate of 30. Love it. So, <laughs> um, with your wicket-keeping, we'll, we'll touch on that, mate, because wicket-keeping is such a difficult art. 
how does your body go with the wicket keeping, like your knees and your hips and stuff? Yeah, it goes like it goes all right, as I would hope as a 23 year old. <laughs> uh, <laughs> might change a little bit as I get into my early 30s and 30s, but um, yeah, I mean, we do all this as you touched on before, we do, we do all this home gym now and we go into the junction and do all our training and stuff. We don't just do it to dig a box or anything. We do it so that when the season rolls around, we're in as best a shape as possible to get through the whole day of keeping. I mean, I do a range of exercise to sort of build up the endurance in my glutes and my back and stuff like that. So that when I do keep for 150 overs, yeah, of course I'm going to get a bit sore and a bit tight, but um, I've prepared as well as I can to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, um, I just want to sort of pick your brain about the actual keeping aspect. Do you just watch the ball out of the bowler's hand and sort of uh, reflex from there? Because you've obviously got millions of hours of training in your body. Is that sort of how you approach it? Just watching the ball as hard as you can and if an edge comes, just hoping your body takes over and clunks it? Totally. It's it's really not too dissimilar to batting. I mean, you do all. I, I think you just do all this training and you just back once you go out and bat or once you go out and wicket that all the training you've done you've prepared as well as you can you just got to let your body take over and if that means you take an absolute blinder well that's great it means if you miss a stumping that's going to happen i mean all the best keepers in the world miss multiple stumpings every year like it's just part of part and parcel of being a keeper like being a batsman you're going to make a duck <laughs> like being a bowler you're going to have days where you're going on for 100 it's just part and parcel with the game we play so yeah it's just being able to realize that at the time and then move on as quickly as you can yeah, do you, do you find it difficult by keeping to spinners up to the stumps? Because I know a lot of cricketers that I've sort of talked to, just local ones, they sort of say it's hard to get the batsman out of your mind because obviously you've got to watch the ball. But as, if the batsman's dancing down the pitch to try and slog a ball, um, how hard is that to sort of put them out of your mind and just go back to the ball? Yeah, it is. I mean, I, mean, I do a lot of work um, up to the stumps with our keeping coach and then whenever I can, I try and get a shadow batter in to practice that. Um, but it's like when you do, it's like when the slips do their nicking practice. Um, when you're doing specific nicking practice and you're preparing for the ball to come to you, it's much easier to catch it. Whereas you might stand in slip for 120 overs and you get one ball that comes to you and you've got to catch that ball. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's, that, it's just, it's easy to say concentrate, but <laughs> um, yeah, it's just being in that mental state to be able to put yourself in the best position to take that opportunity when it comes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, slips catching is not much fun. Like if you nah. if you do get that opportunity and buddy drop a soda, and you, like you might have been concentrating really well for sixty overs, like four hours, and it gets to that one delivery and you start switching off an over or two before. I'm I know. Sure it, I'm sure, it happens at the top level. You want to talk to guys that it happens to, and yeah, it's just a pain in the ass. But that's cricket. Yeah, that is cricket. I mean. We all drop catches. We all take a few blinders in our time. It's just, it's cricket. So can I get too up and down about it? Yeah, for sure. So so when you're um, training full time, like cast your mind back to summer, what's a full day look like for you if you've got a full sort of training load week? How does your um, routine sort of go with that? Yeah, so in, in pre-season, we're in there Monday, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday morning, uh, doing a range of different skills training gym running and all the all that fun and fun and games um yes that's probably our that's our pre-season sort of schedule we get thursday off as a full rest day um and saturday afternoon and sunday as well so yeah we in pre-season we're usually doing we do gym monday wednesday friday with a cardio session on um 
Tuesday morning. And then, yeah, we're running probably Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday morning as well. So, um, yeah, it's, I guess it's full on as you could, you could guess, but it is our job and it's, it's what we're paid and trained to do. So I, I, I personally really enjoy it. So. Yeah, yeah, that's great, mate. And with the with the batting and keeping, obviously, like you could put a whole lifetime into just one or the other, and you know, ne- you could never master it. So, how do you go balancing the keeping and the batting? Yeah, well, on a training day, I um, Andre Borovic's our keeping coach at Victoria at the moment. So, I'll say training starts at ten o'clock in the morning. I'll message him, and we'll meet at the nets at nine fifteen. And I'll do 45 minutes an hour of my keeping work with him when I've just got all the space, all the nets to myself. Um, and then once 10 o'clock rolls around, I'll warm up with the group, warm up with the team and then focus on my batting. So, I mean, as a keeper, there is your multi-skill, like you've, you've got two skill sets that you've got to improve. It's no different to an all-rounder who's got a bat and bowl. So it does mean you've got to go out of your way to make time to get um, both of them in as best shape as possible. Yeah. How, how long do you get to bat per training session? Because I know with local cricket it's sort of like you might get eight or ten minutes per batting pair and that's sort of it because you're sort of limited with nets and stuff so how how um how many balls do you reckon you face in a session and how long do you bat for um it's sort of up to the individual tom i mean there's certain sessions where on the um on the whiteboard the coach will put the classic what net you're in how long you're um how long you're batting or bowling for and then I think we're lucky these days with these sidearms that they've brought out. Uh, we've got four or five coaches at Victoria and the Renegades that are really good on those sidearms. So uh, unfortunately, it's not great for their bodies, but they'll sidearm to us for as long as they want, uh, for as long as we want until we feel prepared. So, yeah, we're sort of very lucky that we d- we're not limited to that eight or ten minute slot. We can sort of just go for as long as we want. Yeah, that's great, mate. Because, yeah, it's pretty weird in local cricket. Like, you bat for eight, eight minutes and you might only face, you know, you get to face four minutes of those because you're batting with a partner. That's right. You and, bat um, for eight minutes a week. <laughs> and then they expect you to bat for 50 overs on a weekend. It's uh, a bit bit weird. Like, realistically, you need to go for an extra hit yourself, which um, I find myself doing a bit. But those sidearms, they're fantastic because, um, like, it's a lot easier on your body than just throwing it with your shoulder. Like, it's... Yeah, totally. They are. And it's easy. You can just pair up with a mate, um, get to training 20 minutes early, do a 20-minute hit, and then have your eight-minute hit, and you've had a half an hour batting session for the night. So you just got to sort of be a bit flexible and make things work. Yeah. The only issue is um, if your mate doesn't know how to use it. I'll go with – um good point. <laughs> one of your mates is putrid on it, Dreshar. We'll <laughs> chat him out. And, um, yeah, he'll throw me a few for the sidearm, and the first three or four will be headhunters and bouncers. <laughs> It's more dangerous to duck and duck. It's like Happy, <laughs> like Happy Gilmore when he's in the cage and he's flying at you, wearing him on the helmet and the chest. <laughs> oh, it's no fun, especially yeah. if he's if he's um, at half pitch or three quarter pitch. It's yeah, it's not much fun. It's fucking just zinging at your head. Yeah, totally. I hear. Uh, but yeah, um, so with the cricket, sort of the last last couple of years, so 2020 and 17, you had a couple of concussions. Are you happy to chat about them? Yeah, no worries at all. Yeah, cool. So I suppose the question is that I watched both of those videos recently and they're super just weird scenarios how it happened. Like you got hit by Jake Lehman, didn't you, like when you were keeping? Yeah, He's... so I was keeping up to the stumps and he went to play a pull shot and his bat hit me in the head on his swivel round. Um, and then, yeah, obviously recently the one where I tripped over Nathan Ellis. Uh, 
and toppled into the ground at Marvel there. So they were both pretty unlucky and both pretty freak accidents. But yeah, unfortunately, yeah. resulted in concussion. Yeah, how how bad were those concussions, mate? Because I know that some people can have some, uh, you know, problems with their functioning ability after them, depending on the severity. But how have those sort of have they affected you at all, or have they been? No doubt, the one in Adelaide affected me a lot. I was in hospital over there for three weeks, um, and then it affected me for two or three months post post the incident. That was a real bad one. Whereas the one this year, thankfully, I was out for a couple of weeks, and then I was back on the horse really quickly. Uh, this sounds funny. The best thing that happens once you've been concussed um, is to then get hit again and then not be concussed. So you're just like, yeah, it's fine. Like I can still get hit and not be concussed. It actually will take a severe blow or something to put me out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've been hit multiple times in the nets batting where bowls bounce me and it's hit me in the head and you just keep batting, um, which gives you lots of confidence that you, it doesn't mean when you get hit you're just going to be out. So. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, hopefully I've got all the freak accidents out of my way early in my career. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Because, um, yeah, we had um, Emma Grant, which is an AFLW footballer. She just retired at the start of this year. But we had her on the pod a week ago. And, yeah, she sort of said how after she got concussed this year, she got, like, slung tackled. So they came right. in a practice match and smacked her head. Um, yeah. But she said she had a, yeah, a lot of issues after it. Had to have, like, a um, neurological, you know, readings and tests and stuff. Did you have any of that after your first or second one or? Yeah, the first, so the first one, I was even, I was in like a brace to sort of get my mind and brain back functioning and walking properly. Um, yeah, stuff like that. I went to the Hawthorne um, EP clinic to do an eight week investigation into concussion in the brain and um, how it was affecting me and why it was affecting me, all the headaches and all the dizziness. Um, but the great thing about that was I got all my questions answered. So um, from there, it was just a sort of a simple transition back into cricket. I remember the first session back after the Adelaide one, I just wanted I wanted to go and bat and keep and face some bounces just on the bowling machine in a controlled environment. And then from there, I just, I've never really looked back and sort of get about him again. It's just sort of just people do a hammy. I happen to have two concussions. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. And I think that's important that you're – got back into it when you can because the longer you sort of steer away from it or avoid it the worse that fear could possibly manifest in your own head yeah for sure i mean the, the first thing i wanted to do is just go keep up to the stumps again with a batter um people i had all the questions at the time people going oh you're going to keep again i'm like well of course i'm going to keep it again like how often does it how often in the past 50 years has someone got clobbered on the head with a bat keeping <laughs> no. yeah 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 if i if you had that mindset you wouldn't drive your car on the road at the moment because you'd be Petrified again, like things happen in life, and you just—I'm not a huge warrior, so I wouldn't worry about those sort of things too much. I, was, I mean, I wouldn't want them to happen to anyone, but um, unfortunately, things happen in life, and those things happen to me with my concussion. Um, yeah, it's just part of playing sport. Yeah, for sure. Do you remember back um, when Mitchell Johnson was bowling in that Ashes series, and he was bowling to—I think it was Matt Pryor—and he ended yeah. up. He ended up hitting him in the head and, you know, ended up getting him out. But that essentially ended his career because after that he couldn't really come back from it. Like from – I've heard a few reports that he was mentally sort of scarred from that. Have you – did you hear that story? Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. And then the same thing sort of happened with Jonathan Trott. I remember he flicked one down to deep square leg at the Gabber off Johnson and Jonathan Trott then didn't play the rest of the series as well. So him and Pryor have both talked about how that series sort of scarred them and they never really – got back from it and it sort of ended their international test careers. I mean, that's the 
that's the effect of someone bowling 155 k's an hour at your head. Like, it's not really all that enjoyable. <laughs> it's not that enjoyable or fun. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to say either that only the tough survive. I mean, Matt Pryor and Jonathan Trott were amazing players, and mm. um, yeah, I, I give them full credit for the amazing careers they've had. The amount of stuff they did for England was. Uh, they had great careers, so I think they can be really proud of what they've done. I mean, a lot of the media will try and scrutinise them and talk them down that they were weak or whatever, but, um, yeah, they were pretty courageous being able to go and face him and have the career they did. Yeah, it's funny. Those um, those journalists and reporters that are saying that, like, I'd love to get them in the nets at Mitch Johnson in his prime and just say, yeah. just, just face two overs and see how you like it, sort of. Yeah, correct. You go out to the middle of the Gabbard and Ashes and face that and see how you fare. <laughs> yeah, well, I loved um, seeing this year because the technology is getting better and better. And I love seeing, um, you would have seen it on the news and stuff. And they basically got, it might have been on one of the cricket uh, afternoon sort of lunch shows, but they showed what it's like to face um, Archer, like how, how quick it's coming down. Yeah. And it was just an absolute tracer bullet. Yeah, yeah. He just jogs in. I remember the first time I faced him, he jogged in and bobbed me a bouncer and, like, I didn't even see the thing. Uh, just bang, it hit me and I was like, wow, this is quick. Was that in the big bash or...? <laughs> it was, yeah. Do you yeah. know what? It actually hit me in the shoulder and it went over the keeper for four and the umpire gave me runs for it. So <laughs> <laughs> how lucky was that? And then That's that was great. the last ball of the over and the captain decided to take him off. So... Was not complaining at all. Nah, nah. What's it like um, facing like a super genuine like 145, 150k bowler? Like, obviously you're in full fight or flight mode, but do you, what are you thinking? Because I'd imagine if I was doing it, I'd be shitting washed up. So what are you thinking, mate? Yeah, I think, I think where we're lucky is like even dating back to when I was a rookie contract, I got the chance to go and face... James Pattinson and Peter Siddle and these and the likes in the nets, um, where you couldn't really fail. Like you just you're an 18 year old kid on the block facing these guys bowling really fast in the nets, and you're sort of getting used to it. I mean, Dad and I used to go on the bowling machines and just get out of my comfort zone. We'd even put the ball way outside off, but at the speed of um, 140, 150 kilometers on the bowling machine, just to get used to it. And then once you're sort of used to it, it just feels like a little bit like second nature. But there's just those rare people like Archer, like Johnson, like Brett Lee, um, Sean Tate, these guys who just have can ramp things up. And, yeah, no doubt in a game, it's quick. <laughs> just got to do the best you can. Do you find seeing the ball, because with myself batting off, I find seeing the ball in a game is easier than seeing it in the net because you don't have all the, you know, nets and shade and shit like around your eye line. Do you find seeing it in the games easier or does it really depend for you? 100%. I could not agree more. Yeah. The bowler bowl, bowl who bowls 140Ks in the nets feels about 170, I reckon. And then <laughs> you, can go, you can go and face that bloke out in the middle and exactly what you're saying. I'm not saying it doesn't feel quick, but it certainly feels like you've got more time. I think the nets that enclose you. Like, I can't remember playing a pull shot off a fastball in the nets because you just don't have time to play it. Whereas in a game, you sort of just feel like you've got a bit of extra time. I mean, no doubt in the nets, bowlers know that they're bowling for 40 minutes, so they bowl seven overs at full knacker. Whereas in a game, they might have to bowl 24 overs. So uh, I think that certainly plays into it as well. So weird, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's, that's pretty funny that it correlates to any grade because I've just always found that. Does it just yeah, look clear totally on a Saturday like, morning or whenever you're playing? 
Um, yeah, the totally. Other, the other question I had, so you say you're full-time cricketer and stuff. Do you have like a side job or side hustle that you do? Yeah, I, so I'm lucky that I don't have a side job. Uh, yeah, we're lucky as cricketers that we get well looked after on uh, in the financial front. But the, I'm certainly a big one and a big advocate for having lots of things going on away from cricket so it doesn't consume you. So as, so, as I've touched on, I'm doing um, two online units of study uh, to try and complete that course, which our, the ACA, who are our sort of players governing body, really help us out in that area. Um, I've been doing a little bit of playbook coaching for Chris Lynn's um, business where sort of a, any kid can book in a session with you for half an hour and you go and meet the kid and um, do a bit of coaching for them and help them out. Um, I love my golf, love my surfing, love um, hanging with family and friends. So I try and do as much away from the game as I can so that when I am at training, I've got a really good outlook and perspective on um, that there are other things in life than cricket because at the end of the day, one day we'll all be 30, 35 and cricket will stop and life keeps going. So <laughs> you've got to have things that you enjoy away from it as well. Exactly. And you see it's such a common theme with um, ex-cricketers, footballers, doesn't really matter. Um, the guys that haven't thought about it until they get that freak injury or they finish up, those are the ones that seem to really struggle and they can it can be detrimental on your well-being. So I think having... Um, yeah, teaching degree or whatever you've got in your back pocket is something else to sort of uh, look forward to as a great way to go. Yeah, definitely. It just sort of gives you that um, outlook that once career's over, I've got an easy transition into something else. Um, and as you touched on, I think a lot of elite sportsmen will have their career and then they'll retire or they'll get delisted or whatever and then they'll, they don't really know what they're going to transition into and that can, that can cause them to be stagnant. Uh, I mean, we go. If you think about the big cricketers, they can they walk down the street uh, and they're getting recognised, and people want to speak to them, and they're on the TV playing and all that sort of stuff. And then their career ends, and kids move on. Kids want the next Steve Smith. They want the next Ricky Ponting. They want the next. Uh, mm. So they sort of lose their identity, which has been caught up in cricket. Yeah, so it can be a really hard thing. I think the great thing is that the ACA and I know AFL and other sports that career transition and pathway is really valued. Um, so we have the ACA give us three-year transition courses and stuff like that where they really help the playing group and those players in those ages we're talking about transition into their next life, which is really important. Yeah, mate, that's fantastic. And the other thing I wanted to touch on that I forgot to ask before, with, yeah. your, with your cricket bat set up, I'd say are you super particular with the weight and pickup of your bat? Because a lot of cricketers I know need to have this. I know um, Mike Hussey talking about him again. Yeah. He used to have like a scale in his cricket bag and he'd have to weigh his bat to make sure that the grips weren't weighing too much and make sure it's like within a certain range. Um, are you similar or not quite as pedantic? Um, I think we're all pedantic. I mean, it is, it's the bat that you go out and use in a game. Like you need it to feel good um, mm. in your hands. For me, at the moment, that's a £2.7. Uh, I'm not as pedantic about how much the grip weighs or anything. I'm more sort of go and feel like um, Lockie, who's our bat maker at Kookaburra, sort of knows what sort of shape and bat I like to use and he's, he's a gun. So he'll make that and then I'll sort of pick it up and go, yeah, I love the look of this or I don't love the look of this or this one feels good, this one doesn't feel as good. And then sort of once I like, I'm one of those ones, that once I like the feel of bat and it's a good bat, I'll, I enjoy using that for as long as I can. I'm not sort of that person who just wants, uh, I mean, Last year I was using a bat from the year before that are, that's still in good nick. Um, 
yeah, the bats these days are so good. I find one that I enjoy using that I'll use it for as long as I can. Yeah, for sure. Do you have sort of three or four bats on the go at all time? Or Yeah, I do. I mean, I've got, because we now use the Dukes ball and we, we are lucky to hit as many balls as we do at training. I've actually got a couple of training bats that weigh exactly the same as my match bats, but I can just put a volume of balls into them that won't stop them from breaking or I can use them in the future as well. So, yeah, we're lucky on that front. Yeah, for sure. I remember as a kid, a few of my mates, we used to um, get like a bit of red paint, put it on the cricket ball and smack it onto your bat right right in the middle. So right when in the middle. Out, <laughs> when, you walk, when you walk out to bat, the opposition sees all you've been doing is middling the ball and you got a bit of Love it. That's so good. Couldn't yeah, agree mate, more. Rick, it's like the, Rick, I think there's stories of people sandpapering in the middle of their bat so it looks like it's been hammered, but they just use a bit of sandpaper. Yeah, absolutely. Bring it into the uh, BBL format, mate. They'll be crapping themselves, the opposition. Yeah, um, that's right. You got all this red stuff in town. Oh, this place has been middling them. <laughs> little do they know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we've just got a couple of little fun questions to finish off. So if sure. you could choose one bowler to face from any country and era of cricket from the past or even the present, um, who would it be and why? Well, I'd love to face that uh west indies crew from the 80s um holding ambrose and those guys yeah. i actually don't know if i'd enjoy facing it but i'd love to <laughs> sort of feel that challenge um and from a spinner's perspective I would, I would always love to face murally just see what it was actually like um with him spinning it both ways yeah for sure they they sort of um there's a few tales about murally and shane warne and the batsmen and keepers literally think they well they could hear the ball fizzing down the pitch as it was bowled yeah they put that much spin on it <laughs> That would be super intimidating, I'd imagine. Totally, would be. Um, and we've already touched on what's it like facing super quick bowlers in the nets. You basically just, yeah, fight or fight and Correct. Um, watch it as hard as you can. Yeah. And yeah, last thing, mate, um, what are your goals and aspirations for the future? Uh, obviously, every kid's dream is to wear the baggy green one day. So, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, totally. Um, at 23, as a cricketer, I sort of, I'm still very young. I think the age you play, they they say you play your best cricket, that's 30. So um, certainly for the next seven, 10 years, I just want to keep working on every format of the game and be as, yeah, as dynamic and good as I can be in all those different formats. Yeah. And do you have a preferred format that you like playing out of the T20 one days and uh, long, longer forms? Um, I certainly love playing the T20s. It's exciting. It's fast. It's, frantic um you got the crowds but i also i think playing for four days and winning a four day with 11 11 blokes uh, that feeling of walking off on day four and winning um yeah that's probably one of the best feelings as well so yeah there's i can give so many positives to all the formats so hence someone like davies and coley who can play all those different formats well um it must be just so fulfilling for them yeah for sure mate all right, well, um, we'll wrap it up there. But, yeah, we'll finish it off. Thanks a lot for joining us, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. No, no worries. Thanks for having me, Tom. Um, good to chat. Thanks for listening to The Blokes in Your Ear. You can check us out on Facebook and our page, The Blokes in Your Ear. Also, check out our Instagram and Twitter using the tag at Blokes in Your Ear. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with another podcast soon.